Ohio Police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and the Reasonable Voice on our show today is Susan Bro. Susan Bro is the mother of Heather Heyer and co-founder of the Heather Heyer Foundation with Alfred Wilson of Miller Law Group. Heather was the 32-year-old killed on August 12, 2017, in Charlottesville, Virginia. I've invited Susan Bro to be on the show today to talk to us about, uh, well, tell tell us her story about how she's moved on, moved forward, perhaps not moved on but moved forward after tragedy, and how she's doing that and why. So, first of all, this afternoon, good afternoon, Susan Bro. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Marcello. I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine, I guess. Um, I, I like the way you corrected yourself to say that you never entirely move on, because mm-hmm. you don't, but, but you move ahead, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's what all parents of uh, who have lost a child or, or anyone who's lost a loved one does. You just move ahead. You, yes. can't, you can't just let it go. Exactly. I, um, I know what you're saying. Well, let's talk about how you're moving uh, forward. The Heather Heyer Foundation, that's quite something to, you know, it was only August, and here this foundation is being... Uh, launched and and uh, with quite an impressive mission. Tell us a bit about the how you and why you chose to launch a foundation in the name of your daughter. Well, initially, my husband and I didn't even have enough money to bury Heather, mm. and so a GoFundMe page was started uh, by a, a former friend of Heather's, and. Um, I was busy planning the funeral, uh, thought maybe people would donate around three or $4,000 and wasn't really paying attention to it because we had such a media storm going on. And, um, my, uh, stepdaughter called and said, Susan, you need to go look at that GoFundMe amount. And I said, why? And she said, well, you just need to go look at it. And Mm. it was 
around $20,000 at that time. And I said, oh, my goodness. My. Well, I need to do something about that. But then the phone rang and somebody else called and there were other details. There was a lot going on. And I didn't pay any attention to it. And my son, uh, son-in-law, called in a few days and he said, Susan, you need to go look at it again. And I said, why? What's the matter? He said, just go look at it. So I looked and it was a $50,000. I said, well, that's crazy. What, how much do people think I need to bury my child? That's, that's nuts. But again, the phone rang. We were busy. Things were happening. And so I didn't get to look at it again until after the funeral. And then we saw it was $220,000. I said, oh, my God, that's not, that can't possibly all be for family. People are wanting to show support for what Heather did. It's not about family at this point. So I talked to Alfred. I said, we've got to do something with this money because it's not for me. It's for something to do with with what Heather had, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what she stood for. And somehow we have to figure out what to do responsibly with this money. Meanwhile, I had the funds stopped. That that can't go on because I don't even know what we're going to do. We've got to figure something out. People were calling Miller Law Firm saying, well, we've got a check. We want to send the money. Where do we send it? People were sending money to the mayor's office. People were sending money to churches in the area. People were sending money to the post office. Just all kinds of people were sending money all over the place. And I said, just wait. We have to do something fast. And um, meanwhile, MTV contacted me. And um, the Ellen Show contacted me, and I said, well, no, thank you. I'm sorry. You must have the wrong person. Mm. Um, You know, I I don't know why you would want to talk to me. I'm an old woman. And um, so uh, the press was knocking and banging on the door and calling all my family, all my friends and everything. And a PR firm stepped forward and said, we'll we'll help out for a while if you can uh, just shift that burden of the press over to us, that'll be fine. And I said, okay. And I said, oh, and by the way, MTV wanted me, I want to show me, but I turned them down. They said, what? <laughs> are you, are you not? So, obviously, we decided to create the foundation, Alfred and I did, and we started looking around for how do you do this? Mm-hmm. And um, he had some fraternity brothers who um, are in legal um, professions or accounting professions, and they stepped forward and said, we'd love to, love to help. Um, Mike Mallory with Ron Brown Scholarship stepped forward, Janika Thomas, C.J. Albaugh. Uh, these are all people who are quite familiar with foundation work, and they said, well, we'll help you put this together. So within a couple of days, we managed to, um, with the, the guys from CompuTune, um, they quickly threw together a website for us so that uh, once I was on TV, people would have a place to to see what we were about. Mm -hmm. And uh, very, very quickly, it just started coming together. Now, of course, having no experience with foundation, we didn't know what that was normal, but we found out later that what was accomplished with our team in a matter of only days normally takes at least few, a few months to a year. Yes. So we had no idea. We, we were just doing what we could to make things happen. And um, 
we're still continuing with that. Now, the goal of the foundation, which we established from the beginning, is going to be scholarships because I'm a concrete thinker. Alfred's a concrete thinker. We're thinking, what actual thing can we do with this money? And we thought, well, we can give out scholarships. And so the first year or so, we're going to give out some high school scholarships on a local level. Uh, Scholarships will be for people who are going into social justice areas, such as uh, law or uh, uh, paralegals needing to be recertified or get certification. Uh, You know, Heather was a paralegal. Yes. Social workers, educators, and we'll be looking for people who already have a demonstrated history of of uh, being involved in uh, social justice. We're still fleshing out exactly how we're going to qualify that. Of course, there'll be an essay and stuff, and we're still in the process of creating our scholarship applications even. But we have to expand on, you know, beyond just the local high schools at some point. And so that was our initial thought, is that we'll just do scholarships. Okay. Well... We've expanded that concept a bit now to youth empowerment projects as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the AIDS, the AIDS mm-hmm. Health Foundation, a very uh, well-established, at least 30-year-old organization, reached out to us about a youth empowerment program. So they currently have, I believe the applications were just finished on the 15th, uh, they had contacted high schools at various places around the country, including the greater Charlottesville area, and I believe Atlanta, where Dr. King is from, and um, I think perhaps in the L.A. region, Mm -hmm. at least for the first year, to uh, have kids write an essay about what they're doing in their own community to combat hate. Yes. And and then they're narrowing that list of of, uh, essays down to the top 10 and then um, Alfred Wilson and I will choose the top three winners and they'll ride with us in the Rose Bowl Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. on a float. Yes. (laughs) And then there will be uh, workshops that will be done with the other winners as well. Uh, I believe in the spring we're going to have a couple of workshops is the current plan. But this is all still getting fleshed out. That's going to be one of our first uh, youth empowerment project. Well, this is all excellent, and and the, it, it is sad for, uh, uh, regarding the circumstances out of which it was born, but it is nonetheless giving an ongoing gift to people who whose lives will be impacted by what you're doing in in honor of your daughter. You. I know, I think you've told me this before, she was quite taken with the quote, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Assuming I got that correct, why was that sort of a, a driving force for her in general? Uh, I, I think that Heather very much lived that statement. She did pay attention. She did look around. She did notice what was happening in the world, and she stayed informed. She was very careful to fact check. She often got after me for sharing something without checking my facts. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I, I've thought about it after I visited the Muhammad Ali Center and saw how Muhammad Ali had seven core characters. I was talking with the board of directors and said, 
we agreed that we need to post something similar about Heather's message. So I thought about it, and I thought that that statement easily encompassed four four basic pillars of Heather's legacy. Mm. And the first one would be information. Make sure that you're being aware, that you're paying attention, but also check your facts and know your sources. Mm -hmm. Don't just blindly jump to conclusions from everything you see, particularly on social media. Yes, yes. Yeah, regardless of your belief, if you if you get an initial emotional, visceral response, you definitely need to go check it because there's some there's fake news and there's real news. Ironically, um, the whole story of Heather's death is sometimes considered fake news by some people. But if you check your sources, yes. check all of your sources. Of course, you'll, you'll know that that's a, a true story, but you just have to be very careful. So that's the first pillar is information. The second pillar is motivation, mm-hmm. and that's to be outraged. Once you see what's wrong with the world, then decide what you're going to do about it. Allow yourself to say, I'm going to be involved. Don't look away. Don't ignore, don't pretend that things are not happening. I think one reason that people so easily subscribe to fake news is because it's much more comfortable for them to believe something than to accept sometimes the harsh reality of what's going on around them. Mm. I I think we just have to pull up our big boy pants and say, yes, things are not all okay in the world. So once you are motivated once you have been informed and once you have been motivated, then you need to take action. Yes. And and Heather very much was about positive, nonviolent action. Mm-hmm. She was about going out and doing, not sitting home and plotting, not being combative um, in a physical way, but to actually get out there and make things happen. Mm-hmm. So on the day that she died, she was actually out there marching she was staying peaceful with her friends it, it's been um, noted a number of times and by journalists and by uh, the police that uh, the group she was with was a peaceful group and um, her friends and she made a point to deliberately stay away from the violent activities that were happening downtown mm-hmm. and they had uh, stayed clear of all that and they were actually kind of in the process of finishing up and heading out to their cars when she was murdered. The fourth point I think that we can derive knowing Heather and thinking about this statement is to be accountable. Be accountable for your actions. Now, Heather was the kind of child that always wanted you to tell her why. Mm-hmm. Why do I have to be bed now? Why do I have to brush my teeth now? Why can't you read me a story now? Why can't I watch this show? Why do I have to uh, brush my teeth? You know, she was that kind of a child. Mm-hmm. But that that carried over into adulthood and that she wanted people to explain themselves. So on the day she died, she was going up to the police and she was going up to the white supremacists and she was saying to them, please tell me why you're here. Why are you doing this? Why are you acting this way? Can you tell me what it is you really believe about this? Now, that I've heard it told that the um, 
white supremacist girl that she was questioning just kept saying no comment, no comment, because that's what they're told that they're supposed to say. Mm. They're not encouraged to uh, speak about their beliefs necessarily. But she always would challenge family and friends to be accountable for their actions. If you posted something on Facebook, then tell why you why you believe that. Why did you think that way enough to post it? If you um, argued a political point with her or an economic point, you had to back it up, not only with facts, but with, uh, you know, justify yourself. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I think that that's a good way for all of us to live, that we all need to hold ourselves accountable. Yes. And, and with each passing day, that seems to be more and more a, a necessary trait, human trait, character trait for all of us. The, I'm, it's hard to believe that anyone would think uh, what happened in Charlottesville on August 12th to your daughter would be fake news, but there's still people who claim that Sandy Hook never happened, so I guess some just choose not uh, to see. But we are seeing and hearing today what can become or come out of a tragedy, the kind of positive moving forward to help people, uh, as, as, as uh, Susan Bro has expressed it, you know, who are committed to uh, social change, social justice, and justice for all. I, I, I've just been sitting and taking in all that you've been saying, Susan. I think I need to, to, to sort of digest it. Let's take a break. It's, it's always moving to talk to you. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We're speaking with or listening to, of great value, Susan Bro, the mother of Heather Heyer, who is the co-founder of the Heather Heyer Foundation. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now... Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. It started in 1993 with pure evil. Three eight-year-old boys found hogtied and butchered in West Memphis, Arkansas. Three teenagers arrested, clearly drunk on sinister music and devil worship, exuding satanic presence. One even confessed. Kill them, cried the community. Guilty, said the police, the prosecutor, the judge. Four documentary films tell of the same horrifying events. Paradise Lost, Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills was the first. A standalone masterpiece that provides incredible insights from every side. The police, the families, the prosecutors, the judge, and the defendants. A simple story no more. Guilt settled. Truth in question. Two sequels update the story. New revelations, new questions. A miscarriage of justice? Likely. Did we need a fourth film? Absolutely. The first tells the hideous tale in real time as it unfolds. With the benefit of hindsight, West of Memphis fills in the rest of the story. The real story. Ultimately, the West Memphis Three were released after 18 years on an Alfred plea, which asserts innocence while acknowledging damning evidence. Face saving for the system and justice for none. Paradise Lost and West of Memphis. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental.
Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and my reasonable voice today is Susan Bro. Susan Bro is the mother of Heather Heyer and co-founder of the Heather Heyer Foundation with Alfred Wilson of Miller Law Group. Heather Heyer was the 32-year-old killed on August 12, 2017 in Charlottesville, Virginia. We have been talking about the uh, four core values that Heather's mother, Susan Bro, feels that Heather lived by. Uh, could you just sort of capsulize those for us uh, again? Absolutely. The, the phrase is, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And so if you work it backwards, number one, pay attention, which means get your information. Make sure to check your sources, check your facts, but do be informed. Number two is be outraged, be motivated, be motivated to make a a change. Don't just take in the information and go, oh, well, there's nothing that I can do, but but, but figure out what what sort of change you want to make in the world. If you're outraged, what's bothering you about it? Three is be involved, take action. And that can be something as simple as go vote when it's time to vote Mm -hmm. or, you know, there are many things to do. We don't all have to march, but there are lots of ways to be involved and to make a positive change. And the fourth is to be accountable, to do the right thing and so that you cannot answer only your conscience, but you can, you know, the, the greater good of mankind. People know right and wrong. Yes. And to, to be able to answer that this is the right thing. I often wondered when I said that, would the white supremacists say that they were doing the right thing? I think sometimes they do convolute themselves into thinking, oh, it's, it's okay to euthanize other people. It's okay to um, put other people under our thumb. But I think deep down in their hearts, they know better. I really do believe there are more good people than bad people in the world. Well, I certainly believe that. And I do believe also People are sometimes, not that I want to suggest an excuse uh, for inhumane behavior, but people sometimes are caught up in their small piece of the world and are caught up in the, in the feeling obligated that they must follow the loudest voice or the most popular friend or neighbor or idea. I hope you and I are right about that. I do believe, I join you wholeheartedly in believing there are more good people in the world than we sometimes think because, in part, television, of course, magnifies and repeats every everything. Like you were saying, I and I knew this. I mean, I'm in the media. Heaven knows I asked you the moment I met you to be on my show. So, But, um, <laughs> but you know, I'd seen you on television quite a bit, and I knew you had to have been hounded at a time when you felt probably, I would assume, least of all like talking, but um, uh, and, and you certainly t- you touched on that. But what about some other difficult conversations relating? I mean, were there good, well-meaning friends and family that that needed, I don't know, needed you? But also, what other, what else do you mean by difficult conversation? Well, Heather actually taught me the concept of difficult conversations and. It took me a while to understand exactly how those go. Uh, we actually left her Facebook page intact so mm. people can see what some of those look like. 
a difficult conversation is, politically speaking mm-hmm. or ethically speaking, is one in which parties of opposing views share their feelings. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw it attempted once on TV where the white supremacists and Antifa were both brought together supposedly for a difficult conversation and neither side was willing to actually talk mm. to the other. They were just talking and never listening to the other. It, it did not go well, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a difficult conversation is one in which each side listens to the other viewpoint. Mm-hmm. You don't have to agree with them. As I told Senator Mark Warner, you, we're not all going to hug each other and sing kumbaya at the end. Yeah, exactly. That's likely to happen, and that's probably not a realistic goal. But we do need to learn to listen to one another and respect one another. Yes. Particularly at the holiday, I said to my husband, I said, it would be nice to have a, polit- a, a non-political holiday for once, because so often families get together and politics are discussed mm. and feelings are wounded and tempers flare and sometimes people don't speak to each other again and that's that's not really helpful in the long run if if we as a nation are to come together we're going to have to start listening to one another even if you think the other person is wrong you need to find out what it is they're thinking you need to find out what their thought process is i might maybe to come what they have to say and maybe not maybe just to come away understanding who they are and mm. why they think that way exactly i think what you just said is more important than what i'm about to say to understand that emotions drive those words and actions and generally uh, you know the emotions that drive our behavior are one extreme or the other we love on one end fear in the middle and anger at the other end and uh, trying to change someone who's in the throes of fear and anger about something is not necessarily... I get the feeling that Heather understood that. She'd hold you accountable. Why are you here talking to strangers who certainly seem to be voicing philosophies and behavior that she would not agree, but she just wanted them to own it. And But I think what you were saying, too, This you sit down at a table and you commit to listening to one another, but you don't have to commit to loving one another. Or uh, I think that's that information core of Heather's that you've talked about, that you've got to understand where people are coming from. Maybe that's all I'm saying. Absolutely. And sometimes that fear is based out of a need, so you need to find out what the need is. Yes. I know um, I've talked with... um, congressional candidate uh, Leslie Cockburn about this, and we talked about the fact that we've seen this in history time and again, that hate groups often grow out of economic need areas, Mm. where industries have been taken away and nothing else is put in place, or where economic conditions have absolutely stalled out, and people start looking for a scapegoat. They start looking for, who can I blame for my problem? Mm. Sometimes that's where the fear is based. Sometimes there are legitimate needs that need to be met. But too often people, quote unquote, listen to one another with the intent of, well, here's what I'm going to say to answer them back. And Mm -hmm. that's not really listening. Mm -mm. That's, I don't know, the whole combative state of mind is, is not helpful. Exactly. When I direct actors, I will tell them, 
you can't be standing there when the other actor is talking and be thinking about what's my next line because then you're not in the moment, you're not listening. So it's true in life as well as in theater. It, it, uh, it, we, we've got to listen. Okay, I know one of your the plans for the foundation, the Heather Heyer Foundation, is to create social change. Now that's a big phrase. But how do you even, yes, what are you doing? How do you plan to create social change? You've got a plan. Tell us. Uh, Well, of course, I speak from a teacher's heart, having been a school teacher for a number of years. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an educator at heart. And to me, uh, you've got to have a couple of things happening. One, you've got to have this heart-to-heart, grassroots movement, reaching people at a one-on-one basis. Mm Mm-hmm. But that wasn't something that I could go out and spend money on particularly, you know, again, what do we do with this money coming in? Mm -hmm. Well, the concrete thing to me seemed to be let's educate people. Let's train up the next generation. Let's train up our future leaders. And and sometimes our future leaders don't necessarily come from young people. I mean, I didn't go back to college until I was in my late 20s. I know some people have gone in their 30s or 40s. So it's not just youth, but it, it but it is the next round of leadership. Let's train people. Let's empower them. Nobody should have to reinvent the wheel. So let's let's get people educated in a way that's going to enable them to continue this social justice movement. And then the youth empowerment project. There are kids working at Western Albemarle High School meeting me this week who are working on a project about hate in Charlottesville and and how they're working to combat it. There are the youth who have been working on this AIDS Health Foundation, just getting kids to think about, well, what am I doing to combat hate in my community? Mm. And sometimes just getting people to think, what am I doing, is enough to motivate them to take further action. Absolutely. So, yes, it is sort of an intangible goal. At the same time, there are ways to encourage that goal, ways to empower that goal, and that's what we're looking to do. I'm, I'm, you know, it's all well and good to say, well, I want world peace. Well, yes, what are you going to do about it? Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I hear what you're saying. I, I wonder, again, I, it's not like we've known each other a long time or had a lot of conversations, but I, I am moved when we have an opportunity to talk because it's just what you just said. It's that making people think about it. You know, we rush through the day, deadlines, to-do lists, all that. But when if someone gets us to stop just long enough to ask or answer the question, then we're thinking about it. And suddenly, solutions, I think, come, come become possible, but also... Uh, a self-examination becomes an important piece of it too, I believe. But before I shift, I want you to give us the uh, the website and and that kind of contact information. But then I want to go to something you, we talked about between the uh, breaks. Okay. Okay. What's your website? The website is www Foundation. Heather is H E A T H E R. Iyer is H E Y E R. Then foundation.com. Our email is 
info, I-N-F-O, at heatherhirefoundation.com. And that will come either to Alfred or to myself, and then we will uh, try to answer back or, you know, reach back with whatever information you might need. But we're also in the process of revamping that website with some fantastic help that has uh, come to us through our connections with the board of directors and other people. And so, as I told you before, we very hastily had that other one thrown together. And although it's been absolutely fantastic, of course, there's there's things that we need to improve and, and update. And, and that should be happening between now and probably uh, at least the beginning of February, if not sooner. Okay. Now, during the commercial break, we spoke of Sandy Hook. I had alluded to that comparison of people denying that uh, Sandy Hook and that Heather's death and uh, other events actually have happened. Like some people deny that the Holocaust ever happened. And so, I mean, I don't know where these people come from, but, but it caused you to tell me something I had, had no idea about, uh, even to ask you. So could we talk about how you are connected with Sandy Hook? Um, I had heard the rumor that I was a crisis actress. Well, I've heard a lot of rumors, actually, and I've looked at them out of curiosity at times because I thought, what in the world? I mean, I'm, I'm a well-documented person in my local community. I worked for state government office for the last seven years, and before that I was a school teacher in the same town. I've lived in the same place for the last 20-some years, so I just thought it was a very odd thing to hear from anybody. So I finally went and looked at the video or the uh, website that compares me. Supposedly, I was also the mother of the um, school teacher who was murdered at Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. And um, so I looked at the picture, and she does look a lot like me. We Mm. both have the same kind of puffy face. We have the same, uh, we keep licking our lips. Uh, We have the same creases in our face. But I looked at my picture and I thought, I don't really look like that now. What's different about it? And then it hit me like a a lightning bolt. Mm. That was the week I was crying all the time and going with no sleep. Mm. Uh, uh, When I was doing all the TV interviews in my backyard and people were knocking on my door constantly, the phone was ringing constantly, I was crying all night long. People often say I don't cry in public. Well, no, I don't no. choose to grieve in that, That's really nobody's business, frankly. Um, it does hit me at times. But, yeah, I would, I would sob all night long and then go outside and do TV interviews. And, and I bet she was going through some of the same things. I, I bet that her face was just as puffy and, and as mine. I mean, your nose is stopped up. You're parched because you cried out everything. I just thought that was very curious. Uh, I've never met the woman. I should probably try to contact her at some point. Um, unfortunately, I've talked to a number of men and women in the last three months who have also lost a child either to murder or to um, disease or whatever, and we all share that common pain, that common grief, but especially in the first week or two, the absolute horror that you just kind of set aside because you're dealing with the funeral and family coming in and in my 
case, of course, the press were hounding me half to death, which I respect what the press is doing. That's why I cooperated with them. I wanted to get out the fact that I was proud of Heather. So many people tried to say to me I shouldn't be. Well, of course I'm proud of Heather. Of mm. course I'm proud of who she was. Yes. Well, I uh, once again, I we've... Um, uh, come to the end of our time, but not the end of our interest or appreciation for both you, Susan, and for Heather. Um, so I, we're, we're going to have to go, but we've been talking uh, with Susan Bro, the mother of Heather Heyer, and the co-founder of the Heather Heyer Foundation with Alfred Wilson of the Miller Law Group. And we hope you will visit. Uh, let's give that website one more time for us www.heatherhierfoundation.com I hope you will visit the website and see what is being offered, what is being planned, what the goals are, how you may contribute, not just money, but money is always needed for such good causes, but I mean to, in whatever way you choose to be helpful. Uh, anything in particular, uh, Susan, you are asking people to do now to help with the foundation? Well, if, if people are able to donate, that's fine. But at the very least, I, I want Heather's legacy carried forward and people living those principles. Yes. I think the would definitely be a better place if we all try to adhere to those four principles. Excellent. All right, then. Susan, it's been... Um, it's been a moving conversation. I'm so glad we had it. I'm so glad you've been on the show today. And I appreciate all that you're doing. And uh, I, I just wish you all the very best. We'll talk again soon. And, yes, and thank you so much for the airtime. Thank you. You got it. Bye now. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Only Lovers Left Alive is not really a vampire movie because there's no shock, no horror. According to Jim Jaramouche, the film's writer and director, and a granddaddy in the indie world, it's a love story and character study. It is, but it's also a film with a luscious look and feel, full of subtle detail and nuanced social commentary. John Amush clearly has a jaundiced view of the current state of humanity. He sets his film in decadent Tangiers and also in modern Detroit, where decay suits the mood of a very tired vamp. Humans are called zombies by the vampire elite, but it's dangerous to feed on them because so much corruption has tarnished their blood. Pure blood procured for cash from corrupt medical techs is treasured for its sensual delights. Surprisingly, Only Lovers Left Alive is an intellectual exercise suffused in a sensual world. It's a personal observation by one who sees beauty in the margins, appreciates intellectual humor, and yearns to share the pain inflicted upon the esthete. No, this is not a driving vampire tale, but luscious vampire commentary. Only Lovers Left Alive, not in theaters, discovery through rental. 
Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Trump, locked by white supremacists, he reloaded. From dog-whistling birthism to working DIA, the madness of the Donald baits us to switch from Russian probe to Korean braggadocious fire and fury competition. But his alt-right support evaporated his smokescreen, and now a backlash of peaceful assembly for freedom and equality is becoming a national movement. On Saturday, August 12, 2017, in the city of Thomas Jefferson's University of Virginia, 35 Americans were injured, 19 of them assaulted by a 20-year-old Ohio man driving into them to preserve and protect our history of slavery, racism, and second-class citizenship. While this summer, Charlottesville, Virginia reaped what Donald Trump has sowed, America, and indeed human decency and potentially humankind, are being raped by the perversion of patriotism by right-wing white supremacists. In response, an attorney general who thinks the KKK is okay until I found out they smoked pot is a joke, is launching an investigation into the Paris-like vehicular murder of a 32-year-old woman. The incident, in support of an administration offensive to the Constitution and truth, colluding with a leader who fears saying the very thing he incites, domestic terrorism. Our founding fathers, the U.S. Constitution, and we ourselves are not perfect, but choosing ongoing educational expansion on a journey of constitutional amendments, striving for equal opportunity, is the perfection of mutual respect. The ugly American truth is, historically, conservatives have failed to accept that every person, place, and thing matters. Words, Medicaid, black lives, women, Medicare, Native Americans, Mexicans, Asians, seniors, and transgenders, all matter. It matters that in 2016 we elected a small, thin-skinned excuse of a man, lacking intellectual curiosity and tolerance for differing points of view, whose Bannon Gorka Miller appointments excel at staining American character. Attacking honorable Americans like Judge Correll, James Comey, Charlottesville's Gold Star Khan family, and LGBTQ citizens courageously serving America in uniform, what can a Russian-compromised isolationist president, incapable of all-inclusive big-picture vision, amass but white nationalists? Since Jamestown and Plymouth Rock, white supremacy has dominated America, imposing self-serving prejudice not only on Native Americans and people of color, but Jews, Irish Catholics, women, and our ancestral immigrants processing past the Statue of Liberty through Ellis Island into what they called the Land of the Free. However, if, after 241 years under white Christian male management, we're still electing a boy's idea of what a real man is, perhaps what we should be resisting is our own tendency to recklessly swing our electoral pendulum. Flip-flopping between silence and violence will never penetrate the hypocrisy of Pence pretense, Jason Kessler's Unite the Right, or Trump's Make America Great Again.
President John F. Kennedy was not only infinitely careful not to back Soviets into a Cuban corner, but was equally emphatic that America was not going to nuclear war. Our current 1600 occupant, however, craves the evaporation of all life on the Korean peninsula in exchange for a macho media image. It is within our power, however, to deny him this power by refusing to play the cards neo-Nazis deal and instead making it necessary for him, like Nixon, to resign. Men like Trump, David Duke, Steve Bannon, Jason Kessler, and Tom Bossard have proven power to bring out the worst and best in us. The worst, clones of themselves. But the best, the rest of us. Like Valley Forge militia, Lincoln, women risking lives for 19th Amendment, the American Baptist Home Mission Society, nonviolent responders to violent Jim Crow era, and all of us who defend Mexicans and Muslims from presidential prejudice. True American patriots, as in the Civil Rights Movement and the Women's Marches, January 21, 2017, exercise peaceful assembly in civility when demonstrating. It is vital that we are ever vigilant not to become what we're against. Instead of responding to radical extremists in kind, let us embrace the civic ideal of petition the government. By the millions, stand tall in D.C. and regional GOP offices, admonishing Congress to, at the very least, call for the application of the 25th Amendment, or fast-track Robert Mueller's investigation in expectation that Donald Trump has indeed committed impeachable offenses and make certain they know we're there because Trump's rhetoric caused the death of an American citizen whose life was snatched away while defending equality and justice for all. Paralegal Heather Heyer. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Com website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.